If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. Romans chapter 2, let's get into it. Let's rock and roll tonight. In the Word. We've been in our, this series now uh, for four weeks. We're in part, part five, chapter two. It took us a while to get through chapter one. Two won't be like that, but I really feel like two is going to be the shiningest moment up, into, uh, up to this point. I'm very excited to deliver some things to you, but I do need you to buckle up, all right, because we are going to thrust like a rocket through this chapter, all right? Yeah. Are you ready? Are you ready? Amen. Now, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to start in the last two verses of this chapter. All right? It's important that we do that as to help us have bring understanding to what is prior. Okay? So we will go through the, the other verses, but we need to start here so that we can get the right perspective. Verse 28 of Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 28 says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly or in the spirit man. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. And what Paul is specifically speaking of, the letter of the law. Anytime he refers to the letter Almost every time it's talking about the letter of the law of Moses, all right? Whose praise is not from men, but from God. Now, the message of the Lord Jesus is salvation and redemption to all of us. But his message was far more kingdom-oriented and uh, lordship-oriented to the Jewish nation. And, and it was far more salvation and grace and Savior-oriented to us pagan Gentiles. He came as Israel's king. And if you remember uh, that when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, known as the triumphal entry, that they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And one of, I think it's John, that says, they said, the king of Israel. And of course, they thought at that time he was going to establish his kingdom. They did not see that he was going to die. But we by faith, praise God, call Jesus Lord. He is Lord. And let me say this. He's not Lord because we call him Lord. He's Lord whether we call him Lord or not. All right? Uh, I mean, however it applies to you, though, and I, is, is what makes all the difference to whether we call him Lord. Uh, I want to jump over to Matthew chapter 7 for just a moment. All right, Matthew 7 this is a, a, a great passage of Scripture. It's one that is, is often misunderstood, and I want to help clear some things up. I, I know we've talked about this, but we must continue to talk about this, okay? Amen, Pastor Eric. We're with you. All right, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And when I was a child, uh, the kind of atmosphere I was grown up in was pretty hardcore Pentecostal and even more hardcore legalism. And, and this verse right here was hammered over us. I mean, weekly, and, and just to get us to a, up to this altar area, the sacred altar area, 
so that we could yet repent again and so that maybe we could be reborn again. And so I was never really secure in my relationship with God because the preacher would say things like, saying Lord is not enough. See, obviously right here from this passage of Scripture, he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. See, say, it's not just about saying Lord. And that's not even what Jesus is talking about. Think about it for just a moment. Jesus said, in that day. Which day is he talking about? He's talking about the final day, the day of judgment. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Well, yeah, guess what? Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But if they wait to do it that day, it's too late. You have to say, Lord, now. You see what I'm saying? It matters how you apply his lordship now that will secure heaven for you. But if you wait till then, I mean, everybody's going to acknowledge at that time that Jesus died for their sins and that he is the Lord of glory. He is Lord of all. But unfortunately for many, it will be too late. And, and then also what Jesus is describing here, we, can, we cannot make too little of Lord. Lord is everything. All right? Paul said it like this. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, what's going to happen? You will be saved. All right, remember the thief on the cross? As Jesus is in his dying breath, I love Jesus. He loves building his church. And even in his dying breath on that cross, he's still building his church. The man looked over him and said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, now you need to be real sincere about that. I hope you're serious. Because heaven waits or hell awaits. So you need to be sincere. As a matter of fact, how much time you got left? You got about two hours left. Confess as many sins as you can. And then we'll see if, we'll see if, the, if uh, we can get all them sins taken care of before you die. Hey, this is the kind of stuff I heard when I was a kid. You better have everything cleaned up. You better have every sin confessed. Because you just never know. <laughs> you could die in your sleep. They always say things like, you could have a brain aneurysm. You're not promised tomorrow. God. Now listen. <laughs> Remember the woman who was caught in the act of adultery? And they, bring, they, they mortify this lady, drag her out of the, from right in the middle of committing the act to dragging her out into the street, laying her before Jesus. It says, the law says... Whoever commits adultery shall be stoned. What do you say? I love Jesus. First thing he does is just kneels down and starts doodling in the dirt. <coughs> like they're not even around, you know. And then he says, yeah, you're right. So whoever's without sin, go ahead, throw the rock. And the scripture says that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks and walked away. And the only one actually qualified to throw a stone was Jesus. Amen. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? Is there any, no one that condemns you? And as she looked up at him, she said, I have none, Lord. And when she said, Lord, Jesus looked at her and said, neither do I condemn you. You said the right thing right there. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So Jesus is not talking about us who confess him as Lord here. He said they'll say Lord in that day. All right? 
and they're going to be scratching and clawing for any excuse, anything. Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And Jesus is going to look at them and say, I never knew you. So we're not talking about people who, according to my legalistic preacher friends, believe that you could just be saved one day and not saved another and then re-saved and then not saved another and then just, just have this conditional salvation based on how good you were that day or bad that day. He says, I never knew you, which tells us something. I mean, is he the truth? If they had been saved and somehow backslid their way out of grace, then he would have to say, I used to know you, but I don't know you anymore. But Jesus says, I never knew you, which means they were not believers ever. All right? These are people who are relying on their own good works. They're hoping the good outweighs the bad in the end. All right? And we know that that doesn't work. We must believe that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the the third day from the dead. And whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. I know it sounds so easy. I know it sounds too good to be true. It is too good, and it's still true. Verse 1 of chapter 2, I haven't forgotten. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. Watch. For whatever you judge another, for, for whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Now, I love Paul's writing here, all right? He's not questioning if these guys break the law. What he's telling them is, you know you break the law, so why are you trying to judge other people when you can't even keep it yourself? This is why it troubles me. It troubles me immensely to hear preachers or other people that are trying to lead people to Christ, and I know their effort is right, but they're We have to believe in just the simple power of the gospel. It is the power of God and salvation. The gospel is the power. Not me wording everything right. Not me making sure that sinner knows he's a sinner. You know, you've seen it. If if you watch any Christian TV, and I'm not going to name any names, but I'm just saying there's a certain guy that likes to go around with a microphone on the streets and asking people, have you ever lied? Well, then 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 you've broken God's law. Have you ever done that? Have you ever cheated? Well, then you've broken God's law, which means that you need to repent. What's interesting is this guy who claims to be saved is hanging a law over an unbeliever's head that he himself doesn't even practice. Now, if we were to look that up in the dictionary, somehow define that, I would call that hypocrisy. To hang it over their head and then say, but guess what? Once you get saved, you don't have to live by that law anymore. Interesting. Now, I mean, you know, there's, it's a big deal, even in, in, in Christianity, that people talk about keeping the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How many of you here believe that you keep the Sabbath day? It's probably a pretty good idea that you don't. 
raise your hand here, but because the law of Moses, in Exodus chapter 20, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's right. That's not the whole, that's not the whole part of the Sabbath day. The other part is, let's go to the next verse. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So if you took Tuesday off, then you broke the Sabbath. <laughs> Hello. How many of you still love me? We don't keep the Sabbath, ladies and gentlemen. All right? I'm just saying. But, you know, if you hold the law as a standard, what Paul is saying is you, if you hold the law as a standard, then you will be judged by that standard. It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing about human nature. And I always, I always, I, I, let me say on a regular basis, have to keep myself in check on this. And I think we all need to keep ourselves in check that we tend to require more of others than we do our own selves, don't we? Hmm? Pointing the finger at one another, uh, in a, it's just a continuous and a winless effort on our part. Judging another's weaknesses and sins, it doesn't change them. Comparing your strengths to their weaknesses only makes you a fool. It solves nothing. You know, husbands and wives, if you'll really stop trying to change your spouse, listen to all those amens, and work on changing yourself, their seemingly glaring faults will soon become dim and fade away by the light of love. It's love that covers a multitude of sins. Pastor Eric, that's really good preaching. Let's go to verse 4. Or do you despise, listen, or do you despise the riches, ooh, the riches of his goodness? Whose goodness is this talking about? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So look, look what it says that God is rich in. I love this. God is rich in goodness. And we're grateful for that, aren't we? God is rich in forbearance. And we are extra grateful for his forbearance or self-restraint or tolerance. That's what that means. <laughs> And for his long suffering, that is his patience with us. And he's rich in it. And because he's rich in it, it causes our hearts to turn to him. It causes us to change the way we think about God. That he's rich in mercy. He's rich in goodness. He's rich in patience. He's rich in forbearance. It doesn't make me want to just keep on living a, 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 a terrible life. That makes me want to serve God. That makes me want to love God. That draws me to him. It's that goodness that leads us to repentance. And let me just remind everybody here tonight that every time in the New Testament, the word repentance is the Greek word metanoia, and it means to change your mind. It does not mean to turn into a different direction. It does not mean, as my legalistic friends like to say, a 180 degree turn. Well, what if I'm not 180 degrees off? (laughs) 
What if I'm just off a little bit? I mean, 180 degrees, I ought to have... I ought to be out there worshiping the devil with everything in me, right? I mean, that, isn't that 180 degrees from God's way? Sacrificing babies and you know, just, just doing every evil thing that I could possibly think. I mean, if I'm always 180 degrees off, no, it's change your mind. Click. Just get back on track. Change the way you think, because if you change your thinking, you will change the way you act. Amen. And repentance isn't about feeling bad. I felt bad a whole lot, but feeling bad didn't make me change. Man, I cried tears, and I told God I was so sorry. I didn't change. Come on, help me here tonight. Am I talking to the right people here or what? You've been through those religious gyrations yourself too and found out that all it was was a circus act? There was no freedom in that. There was no change. There was no real substance to it. All right, now you might feel bad. And I'm not saying that, you know, that you won't feel bad in the process of repentance. That's, but that's, it, it's, that's not the cusp of it. That's not the summit of repentance. The summit is to change your mind. Verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself. Ooh, he's talking to these judgmental Jews. He's really talking to anybody that's judgmental, but Paul's specifically talking to his Jewish brethren here. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So he's talking to people who get their righteousness from the law and condemn others who don't keep the law. Okay? Verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Hang on, I'm going to explain that in just a second. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. Now, what did we say? Who did we say the truth was tonight? The answer is Jesus. It's not a trick question. Anyway, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, right? The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But obey, watch, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. Obey unrighteousness. Remember what Paul said in Philippians? We talked about this last week. I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. So, if you could keep the law, as Paul said he did, he said, concerning the law, I was blameless. Now, I don't know anybody that could say that. But he did say that about himself. It's probably true. He was a pretty spectacular man. But he said all it produced was self-righteousness. Think about it. Keeping it to the letter and all it produced was self-righteousness. Keeping the entire law, all it could produce is self-righteousness or unrighteousness. It's the same thing. Say this with me, unrighteousness, unrighteousness. equals self-righteousness. Okay, nine, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first also and of the Greek. Now, doing evil really has nothing to do with the law since Cain murdered his brother Abel 2,500 years prior to the law. How many of you believe that that was an evil act on his part? He took out 25% of the world's population. Absolutely it was evil. 
Long before the law said, thou shalt not kill. The law makes you look righteous on the outside, but it doesn't make you right on the inside. It's one thing to look righteous and not be. It's another thing to look righteous and be righteous. And that's, that can only be accomplished through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does it make you look righteous, but it makes you righteous. I love that. Okay, i got to keep moving. Verse 10, But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Remember when Peter was standing in Cornelius' house? He's standing in that Gentile's house. He said the very same thing. He says, Of a truth I perceive, God is no respecter of persons. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God. you got to listen to this verse. Not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So, now listen, we already know what Paul's theology is, don't we? Righteous by faith, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, and that you'll never be justified by the law. That is what, not what Paul is saying. He's simply laying out the groundwork, ladies and gentlemen, for what these Jews say about righteousness, all right? He's getting on their level and beginning to reason with them, all right? This is, this is not a wrench in the system, all right? This is not a balance to grace, all right? Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, everybody say by nature, do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. By nature, they do the things of the law. See, what happened is we had to get our natures changed. It wasn't our actions that were really the problem. They, I mean, they were problematic, but our condition is what was the problem. And once the condition changed, once we receive the nature of God, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have been made new. When that, the moment that happens, we had our nature, hallelujah, changed. Before that happened, before our nature changed, we could never please God. No matter how many good things we did, but as a believer in Jesus, your nature changed. That does not mean that you've never done anything wrong since then. Come on. How many of you have done something wrong since you've been saved? Come on. And if you didn't hold up your hand, you just did something wrong. <laughs> so what did you do to fix that? Hopefully you look to Jesus. Because he's the only hope. And the scripture says, my children, John says, I write you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, that is the moment to come boldly before the throne of grace and confess that Christ died for my sins. And he was buried and he rose again. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that cleanses me. Okay. 15. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge 
the secrets of men. Ooh, that is that place in the heart nobody else sees, nobody else knows about. By Jesus Christ, check this out, according to my gospel. Who, who's, who's, who's writing this? Okay, God is going to judge the secrets of men's hearts by Jesus Christ, but it's not just by Jesus Christ, but by the gospel that was brought to us by this Apostle Paul. This is a powerful thought. So God is going to judge our secrets according, through Jesus Christ by the gospel. You got that? All right. On that day, as I said earlier, everybody will believe that Jesus died for them. No doubt about it. But to believe it on that day is simply too late. Do you remember what Revelation talks about when it talks about that God will separate the sheep from the goats? Hmm? And that's an important thing. Now, what's interesting is, I'm just going to kind of set the scenario, okay? I'm going to be God just for this moment here, okay? Sitting on the judgment seat, saying something like this. Okay, I want all of my sheep to step to the right. Now the religious guy is going to go, I get what he's saying. I understand what he's saying. He's about to give me the rewards for all of my good works. I know, boy, this is about to go really good for me. I know what he's talking about. But see, for those of us who knew that we weren't righteous enough to be right with God, but who fully put our trust in Jesus to make us righteous, we're going to know what God is thinking. We're going to know what he's talking about here when he says, I want all of my sheep to go, which way? There is a, the religious person is going to go like this. I'm putting myself in your position. Well, no, here's God. Ready? Ah, yeah, yeah. There's a way that seems right to a man. But the end is what? Oh, but those who have found their righteousness through Jesus Christ and see it God's way, he ain't talking about our right. He's talking about his right. The sheep are going to go, oh, yeah. Huh? Can you catch that? All right. So let me just go ahead and tell you ahead of time, step left. <laughs> no, we'll know to do that. <laughs> he will judge us according to the gospel of Christ. The Father will only, oh, this is beautiful about you believers, about you children of God. God will only view you through his Son, which means that you are judged righteous forever by his Son. Amen. You will stand, but hey, now, now we are going to stand before Jesus. All right? You will stand before God and that separation will take place. But then us believers who, who received heaven through Jesus Christ, that moment right there between the goats and the sheep is determining who's going to be in heaven. But then we will stand before our Savior. We will stand before our Lord and give account of the deeds that we have done. Not whether or not we have access to heaven. He already secured that for us. But what kind of heaven are we going to have? This is about our station there. This is about the rewards that we are laying up right now. Are you catching this? So that, you, you know what, that, that's kind of humbling, isn't it? Yeah. Knowing that, ladies and gentlemen, there is a judgment for us. 
and that we will be ba judged based on our works. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to give more of my time to him. It makes me want to give more of my money to him. Uh, yeah, not as many as amens there. Uh, it makes me want to give more of my service to him because those are rewards that will never fade. Those things will not be pulled out on the driveway when I die and sold at a garage sale that my kids have because they don't want any of my junk. These are things that neither moth nor rust can destroy. Hmm? This is what we're really here for. This is what we're really living for. That every day of our life, we will realize that that's, this day is a gift from God. And what I do in this day is my gift to Him. Indeed, verse 17, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. See, that's what he's saying. Paul knows exactly how they're thinking and he's talking about how they view Gentiles. I want to go to one last scripture and we will close. Did I say that out loud? Okay. <laughs> Paul knows exactly how they're thinking. All right. Go to Titus chapter 1. He knows exactly what these Jews are thinking and how they talk about the Gentiles, how they talk about the pagan world. Those who celebrate Christmas and Easter. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Come on, pagans, where are you? Those who eat bacon <laughs> and shrimp. Titus 1.10. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the... So who's he talking about? The Jews. Ready? Watch this, verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped. Their mouths must be stopped who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain or for financial profit. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. <laughs> wow. Now, he's sending this letter to Titus, who is a pastor in a church on the island of Crete. And so Paul is saying, this is what they're saying about your people, Titus. And you've got to stop these mouths who are saying this stuff about your people. Even one of their prophets said this. Now, watch this. Look at verse 13. This testimony is true. Now, this can be confusing. And if you look at it, if you just see it there on the surface, you think that Paul is saying what that prophet said is true. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you have to stop their mouths. I know this testimony is true. The testimony is true that this guy actually said that about them. Not that they're actually that. Why would their mouths need to be stopped if what he's saying is true? Their mouths have to be stopped, he says. Verse, uh, now let me just say, we cannot continue as a church, ladies and gentlemen, let it never be said of one cause church that we continue to berate the sinner for acting like a sinner. That's right. 
and that we berate one another, our brothers and sisters, over their weaknesses. This has got to stop. We have to see each other how God sees us. Huh? Paul says, no longer do we regard anyone according to the flesh. If we did that, man, we'd be the most judgmental people on the planet. We don't judge each other according to the flesh. No, 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 no. Flesh is not what's going to inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood. No, no, no. We are communing in the spirit. We are all one in the spirit. Whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Got to get our eyes off the flesh and start seeing the jewel of the soul that is in them. That blood-bought child of the living God. So that love is your lens how you see one another, and that, like I said earlier, the flaws and all those kinds of things, you just encourage one another through those things. You don't point the finger about those kinds of things and make accusations and call each other filthy, nasty names. But to love one another. The church is where this should be. This should be the judge-free zone. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Let me just say this to, to you. I'm not here rebuking you for that because I hear this testimony about you over and over again. That anybody who comes here always feels welcome and loved. And I thank God to be a part of a church. Full of people with open arms. Let me remind us tonight, acceptance of someone is not condoning of their lifestyle. Let's make the distinction, okay? Just because you accept someone doesn't necessarily mean you accept what they do. Hey, God accepted you. Amen. Let's not forget the forbearance and the goodness and the patience of God for our lives so that that same goodness will flow through us to others. We have to keep that before us all times. Therefore, he says, listen, This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. Anything outside of faith is sin. Sound in faith, not in the law. Sound in faith, not in rules and regulations. Sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Amen. All right. I said I was going to close. I better close right there. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, thank you for this great gathering of people tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the liberty that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The liberty to live free from the bonds of legalism, from the bonds of sin and death. Your word says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Sin shall not have dominion over us, for we are not under law. We are under grace. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for the power and the liberty that we find in your grace. As we walk by faith, Lord, we thank you. We put our full trust in Jesus Christ. You're our only hope for salvation. You are our our salvation. You are the one, God, that we look to. Lord Jesus, you're the one that we look to for eternal life. You are the one who has delivered us and saved us and made us holy and blameless and above reproach, not by works of righteousness that we've done. No, it's by the mercy of God that we've been brought near. We've been brought near by the precious blood of Jesus. 
And we thank you, Lord, for that tonight. What good news it is. And God, help us to not keep silent this good news. Lord, let us take those opportunities that we have. Lord, every day of our life we have opportunities. If there's people in our life, there are opportunities in our life. Your word teaches us to let our speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that we may know how to answer every man which tells us that grace is the answer for every man. Hallelujah. Lord, may we be faithful stewards of this precious message, God, this message of reconciliation. Lord, as though God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. Lord, that we, we not get caught up looking at people in the flesh, regarding people according to the flesh, but Lord, that we would lift them up by giving this Precious message, heralding this message, Lord, wherever we go, that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. Whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. Thank you for that, God. I just declare your blessing over all these that are here tonight. Strong, healthy, whole, restored marriages in Jesus' name. Their children shall be taught of the Lord. Great shall be their, their peace. I thank you for peace in these homes in Jesus' name, where there has been disruption, where there has been disturbance, where there has been uh, downcast faces. God, I just pray right now that they would be infused with the joy of the Lord and with the peace of God that pa passes all understanding. Thank you, Lord, for prospering your people, causing them to rise up, Lord, to the level of your word. Your ways are higher, your thoughts are higher, and you have revealed those things to us us today by your spirit. You freely have given us all things through Jesus Christ, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for people, as Jeremiah said Sunday, as Jesus, when, he, when you held that cup up and you said, take it all, Lord, that we will take it all. Hallelujah. We'll take everything concerning our salvation for us in Jesus' name. Thank you for bodies being healthy and whole here tonight in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that signs and wonders follow these who believe as they go out into this mission, for, this mission field, these places, Lord, where they are now, God, that they'll see it as a call from God, as an assignment from God. Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. And we understand tonight that every good thing in our life has come from the Father, our Father in heaven. And we bless you for that. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11 and Wednesday evenings at 7, and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings, and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.